0: This morning's scripture reading will come from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, and verses 6 through 12. This can be found on your, in your pew Bible on page 199. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. For I have selected a king for myself among his sons. Starting in verse six. When they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the, right, at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called, abinadab and made him pass before samuel and he said the lord has not chosen this one either next jesse made Shema pass by and he said the lord has not chosen this one either thus jesse made seven of his sons pass before samuel but samuel said to jesse the lord has not chosen these and samuel said to jesse are these all the children and he said these there remains yet the youngest and behold He is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for he will not sit down until until he comes here. So he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he.
1: Good morning. Happy New Year. What a wonderful way to begin the year together, worshiping God and a wonderful, wonderful congregation. If you're a guest, we thank you for being with us. It does encourage us that you're here, and we want to be an encouragement to you. Uh, I want to encourage each of you on the end of a pew to uh, grab the stack of calendars. Uh, They actually fold up to pocket-sized calendars and uh, pass those down, and if you would like to take one of those, we would encourage you to take one of those, and when you're finished passing those down, if you will, return them to the end of the pew so that the late service this morning can do the same thing. Uh, Please note a couple of things. Obviously, we make these available because we want you to mark your calendars and know what is happening so that you don't have that surprise later on where you're like, if I would have just known that that particular event was that month or that day, uh, I I would have planned around that. Well, we hope that you'll look at ministry opportunities that fall within uh, your skill set, and we hope that you look at events that incorporate the entire congregation. And we really would ask you to plan vacations and plan... uh, other events in your life around the work of the Lord. And so please take some time this this afternoon or sometime this week to study over the calendar and make plans uh, to put the Lord's work as a high priority in your life in 2015. Second, as you look down through there, there's bound to be several things that you have questions about. I just don't know about that event or I don't know about that ministry. And we hope that this calendar opens up dialogue. Please, if if you're new here or if you've been here for years and years, it would be expected that you would say, I, I don't understand. What, what is this event? What is this day? And, and please do that. And let's, let's make sure that we're all on the same team. We're all pulling in the same direction. And the only way we can do that is, is have a good understanding of really what, a, what the work of the Lord is about here. And so uh, let's use that as a way to mark our calendar, set priorities. Let's also use it as a way to open dialogue and figure out really how's the best way that we can serve God in this place. Thinking about things coming up, this coming weekend, our elders, deacons, and ministers will have their annual retreat we'll think a lot about the year coming up. And uh, one of the things that we will think about on that retreat is uh, we'll think more about the theme of this year of great expectations. And, uh, And because of that and coming out of that Friday and Saturday together, we again, next Sunday, we will have almost like a kickoff of this theme. Even though we'll talk about it some today, next Sunday will be the real kickoff of this theme of great expectations. And we hope that you have great expectations for that, but uh, we hope we can live up to those great expectations. I found out in life, sometimes low expectations make people happy, so I don't know exactly what to do with this theme this year. Uh, but but really, God has great and wonderful things planned for you. He designed you uh, after his own image, and he has the hopes and and the the. 감사합니다 yeah and the uh, way made for you to spend eternal life with him. And so there can be no greater expectation than that. And so this year, we want to truly emphasize all that God has planned for us. Also, keep in mind as we think about exciting plans, this evening, this Sunday evening, tonight is the big old youth group supper. This was the largest Sunday evening attendance that we had all year last year. It is tremendous. Now, what's going to be good this year is the auditorium uh, will not be packed and literally almost flowing out in the four year like it was last year because we now have a simulcast. And so uh, it'll be nice because we'll all have plenty of room, but yet at the same time, one of the reasons we're saying this is we're saying this for our members. Tonight, be sure and, and greet and welcome individuals. This auditorium will be full of guests, people that rarely uh, come. And, and so we are thankful and so thankful that they're going to be here. And we want to make sure that we let them know how thankful we are that they're going to be here. Our youth and their families will be coming together and they will be uh, talking and about and celebrating the victories of last year. They also will be casting vision of what the youth group will be involved in in serving God in this coming year. And because of that, every child that is a part of our youth their parents are invited personally picked up the phone personally invited and because of that many of their parents come that don't otherwise come and we're so thankful for that we're thankful that the youth are here regularly we're thankful that their parents come and so we want to encourage everybody here tonight to be looking for people that you can welcome and that you can extend just a a great warm welcome that they're here expectations have you ever noticed that people tend to live up to whatever is expected of them that's good news and it's also bad news the bad news is when very little is expected of people they tend to live up to it when nothing is expected of people they tend to live up to it. the great news is that when high expectations are set upon people they tend to live up to them as we think about expectations i can't help but think of garibaldi in 1848 he made a a plea to his soldiers and his speech has been remembered over 150 years and oftentimes when i think of expectations my mind goes back to a portion of his speech you see this great italian military leader was a man that at the time that the troops around him were ready to surrender because everything was falling apart. But he just wasn't that type of man. He couldn't lay his arms down, and he couldn't tell his men we're just giving up. So instead, he makes a speech that truthfully has been recorded now 150 years later in different ways, but it always sounds something like this. He gathered his men together, and he said... I offer you hunger, thirst, cold, no pay, no barracks, no rations, forced marches, bayonet charges, battles, and death. Whoever loves Italy in his heart and not just with his lips, let him follow me. We'll leave tonight from the lantern gates a few thousand men followed him and everything that he told them they could expect almost every one of them experienced it good people generally live up to the expectations that's placed upon them van gogh said If I accept you as you are, I will make you worse. However, if I treat you as though you are what you are capable of becoming, I help you become that. How does God treat us? Does God see in you only what you are today? Or does God see in you the potential of what you can become? Isn't it beautiful that God sees in us potential? Maybe your struggles. Maybe you feel like 2014 was the year that sin just beat you up. Maybe you felt like that every day was a stumbling block. Maybe it wasn't quite that bad. Maybe you just look at it and say it was a mediocre year. What's 2015 going to be? Do you realize that God sees the potential? God sees what you can become. And so the question is, can we live up to God's great expectations? Absolutely. Is there anybody in Scripture that better illustrates God's great expectation and living up to it and accomplishing great things all for the glory of God, more so than David. You see, when we talk about David, do we call him the shepherd boy David? Do we call him King David? What do we call this man? Because there were so many different ways of seasons of life that he served God. As far as we know, most would agree he's one of the greatest men in all the scriptures. He is the only man in the scriptures that is said that he is a man after God's own heart. He is revered as a giant slayer. But it didn't just stop there. What some people forget is that he was also one of the most courageous and successful warriors in all of the scriptures. As a matter of fact, when he would come back home from battle leading his men, the women would celebrate victory in the streets because their husbands are coming home. But you know who they would sing about? They would sing about David and they would say, He has slain his ten thousands because he was just that mighty as a warrior. As a matter of fact, in his tender heart of wanting to build a temple for God, God wouldn't allow him to build the temple because he said you've had too much blood on your hands. He also was a genius at poetry. This rugged warrior could write the most beautiful poems and songs. As a matter of fact, there has never been a poet that has ever lived that has been more read and more quoted Than David. And not only that, when the Holy Scripture says that the men of old were inspired by the Holy Spirit to speak words of prophecy, David was one of those great prophets that many of the things that he wrote, prophecies that we sometimes call the messianic Psalms. You see, in that book of Psalms, it is quoted more often in the New Testament than any other writing. Listen, it's not a stretch at all to say anyone can make a strong argument for the fact that David was one of the greatest men that have ever lived. Just to kind of echo this and not to dwell on it, I want you to notice there is a book written by Jim Jordan entitled David, The Life in the Psalms. And I open up to the first page of that book this week, and I want to read to you just the first few lines, and I want you to see, could there be any greater compliment than to have your name so closely associated with Jesus Christ himself? And here's this Old Testament character that we read about over and over again, not only in the Old Testament, but even in the New Testament in association with Jesus. Here's a few lines out of this book. The first verse of the New Testament reads: The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, of Abraham. Mark 1 1, Matthew 1 1. Jesus was born in the city of David, was called the root of David, the seed of David, and was given the throne of David. And the New Testament closes, here's the last page of the New Testament, with, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root of the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, Revelation 22 and 16. And then we go to the middle of the New Testament. Paul, in introducing Jesus to them, went back to God's word concerning David. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior Jesus. With this in mind, I'd like to ask you an important question. Where does such a man come from I know I've shared with you before but to make the point remember the old fella the grandfather sitting on the front porch of a tourist town with his grandson tourists were walking down the street and wanting to find some great local place one tourist looks up at the grandfather and he says hey were there any famous people born here And the old wise grandfather smiles and says, No, only babies are born here. Where does a great man like David come from? In this room. I believe that if God would choose to reveal or open up the silence of heaven, I believe God would say in this room right here are some great men and women great men and women where did they come from were they just born that way or was it something about the way they lived their life that became great isn't it interesting that we never see anything in the life of David where he was striving to be observed by others as a great man His greatness wasn't found in trying to draw attention to himself. His greatness was continually found in bowing himself to the Almighty, who is truly the source of greatness. God's expectations for us begins in our heart. It's who we are. I want to pause here for just a moment. Many of you have been thinking about 2015 and New Year's resolutions, and that's good. It's good for us to evaluate. It's good for us to think about where we are today and and what can we become and, and where should we be headed in our life. That stuff is good. please, in the midst of setting some things that you're going to do or not do, please hear from this study of God's Word today that what is so important is not just the things we do, but where those things come from. In other words... Who are we? It's so important to know who we are and to make sure that we are who God wants us to be. As human beings, our tendency is to evaluate what a person looks like instead of simply who they are. Let's go to 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter. In 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter, the first part of the chapter is that beautiful story where God tells Samuel, I want you to go into this little town of Bethlehem. I want you to find a man named Jesse. He has several sons. I want you to anoint one of them king. I'll show you which one is king. He comes traveling in, and Samuel was a well-known man among Israel. He's considered one of the greatest men of that time in Israel. And so when he comes in to this little town, the elders are nervous. Why is a man like him in our town? And he invites them to come with him. So you imagine the elders of the town go, you can imagine Jesse's a little bit nervous when he shows up and he explains to him what he's going to do there. And so Jesse begins to pass his seven sons before. Now there's more than seven sons. You see, there's a little guy that's out keeping the sheep. But isn't it interesting what is revealed to us about two things here? This passage reveals to us our nature and what we tend to look at, and it also reveals to us God's nature and what he tends to observe. Let's read this beginning in the 16th chapter and verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Let's pause there for just a moment. Here's Samuel, a wise and godly man, And he is doing what God is asking him to do. Go there and and I'm gonna tell you the one to anoint. And isn't it interesting that this wise and godly man sees this this young man here that's David's son, and there's something about him. Maybe it was the position in, in the family. Maybe uh, because of his age in the family, in the birth order. Maybe it was the way he looked. Maybe he was a strapping, strong-looking young man. There was something about him that this godly man, Samuel, says, surely this is the man. Have you ever had times in your life where you think, surely this is God's will? Surely this is what God wants me to do? I have this desire to do this because I have this desire to do this. Surely it's God's desire I do this. Isn't it interesting that he seems so confident that he just found the next king? And look at verse seven. And the Lord says to Samuel, it's almost as if he says, Samuel, I know why you're thinking that, so let me show you why you're wrong. And I don't think God's trying to beat him up here. I think he's trying to teach Samuel, just like now it's recorded. So for thousands of years, God has been trying to teach you all of this this. And, and so he says, let me tell you what the danger is, Samuel. Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see man, or does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance. Let's pause there. We see the outward appearance because truth is we can't see each other's hearts, right? I don't really, really know what's in your heart, and the truth is you don't really, really know what's in my heart. Now, we can learn a lot by the fruit that each other's life produces, but still, we can't read each other's mind. We do not know what's in the dark secrets of each other's heart. And so it is natural that we would tend to look at appearances but now the problem with that is, is then when we start living our life based upon if I can convince you with my outward appearance that I'm righteous, I must be a righteous person. If I can convince you with my outward appearance that my motives are pure, I must be a, a person with pure motives. And so here is the reminder that God is not just concerned with how do you look on the outside. God is concerned first What is your heart? When you look at 1 Samuel, the ninth chapter, we don't have a slide for this, but if you wanna back up to 1 Samuel, the ninth chapter, Samuel should've already learned this. You remember the first king of Israel, and of course, the reason he is out appointing a second king is because the first king, Saul, did not turn out very well uh, for Israel or for Saul. And and notice in in 1 Samuel nine and two, and I want you to think of outward appearance here. And he had a choice. This is talking about uh, Saul's family and, and his father. And he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. Now notice this compliment. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. In other words, not just his tribe, not just his community. You could get all of the nation of Israel together and he was the most handsome man in all of Israel. And not only that, not only was he good looking, but his stature would, would seem to exude power because everybody else just came up to his shoulders. He could physically look down upon everyone. Wow, he's gonna be a great king. He looks kingly. You know, in, in elections you'll hear someone say, he looks presidential. You know, there's merit to that if you're going to win. You know why? God just told us. What does man look at? Man looks at the outward appearance. But what does God look at? Let's read the rest of this verse as we go back to 1 Samuel, the 16th chapter. The rest of this verse says But the Lord looks at the heart. So when we think about it, are we going to look at the heart or or are we going to look at looks? When we think about ourselves, are we going to try to work 2015? God, what's your expectation for me? God would say, my expectation for you is for you to be concerned about your heart. Not just what you are outwardly, but who are you genuinely? Who are you really? But what does a good heart look like? Now, I know this may sound pessimistic, but because of the story that's recorded here, it's not pessimistic, it's just realistic. If we want to really understand best about this heart language that God's using, He is going to show us that David is a man after his own heart. But before He does that, He says, I want to show you how the king that David is replacing is not a man after my own heart. In other words, if you want to know what a good heart looks like, let's first start and look at Saul for just a moment and see what a bad heart looks like. Let's drop back. 1 Samuel 13th chapter. 1 Samuel 13th chapter. What's a bad heart look like? Verse 12. By the way, Saul is at Gilead. uh, I mean Gilgal. He's at Gilgal. The the Philistines are surrounding him. Imagine this. This this would be like the the most powerful part of their armor. 30,000 chariots were surrounding them. 6,000 horsemen. And the soldiers on foot were so many they were like sands on the seashore. They couldn't be counted. Some of Saul's men are getting scared, and they're starting to leave. Saul sees his army dwindling. He sees the Philistines in massive, strong numbers surrounding them. Samuel has said, it'll be seven days before I get there, and when I get there, I'll offer sacrifice. In other words, Saul wanted to offer a sacrifice to God receive God's blessings before he went into battle to slay the Philistines, who are much stronger and much greater in number than him at that time. Samuel doesn't show up whenever Saul believes on that seventh day that he should have shown up. Now, later on, on that seventh day, he will show up. But at this point, he hasn't shown up yet. He's watching his men dwindle. He's watching the enemy surround him. And he wants to receive God's blessing so he can go into battle. And of all things, what does he defile his relationship with God over? He defiles his relationship with God over offering a sacrifice that God had told him not to offer. Only Samuel was supposed to offer this sacrifice. Samuel said, I'll be there on the seventh day. I'll offer that sacrifice. But you know what? Fear. Fear caused him, and a lack of faith, caused him to do some things that he should have never done. How is this recorded? Look in 1 Samuel 16 to 6. So it was when they, that, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel 13 and 12. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled. Remember Samuel said, surely this, this is the man. And God says, no, it's not the man. Saul says, I feel compelled. Do you realize how strongly you and I can feel that something is right? But listen, our feelings have never made anything right. It's the will of God that makes something right. And it is contrary to the will of God that makes something wrong every time. Majority on earth doesn't make something right. And so when we look at this, notice he says, Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. How can someone say to someone else, you've done something foolish? Here's how. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. Now, just to emphasize, he's repeating this. He's wanting Saul to know. He's wanting us to know. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Isn't that interesting that it comes down to you have not kept the will of God. Now, some could say, well, this was the final straw that, that 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 broke the camel's back in God's eyes looking down at Saul. Well, yes, I guess you could certainly say that, but you know what all the other straws were? The very same thing. He would not keep the will of God. What does a bad heart look like? A bad heart says When I've got my back against the wall, whenever I become afraid, whenever I feel like the odds are against me, I'm not going to do God's will. I'm going to do things the way I want to see them done. Now, we don't have time to develop this this morning, but when you think about David, he, for the most part, was just the opposite. When David's back was against the wall, instead of being afraid and faithless, David would simply do, in a courageous manner, the will of God. What does a good heart look like? Let's go back to that summary in Acts the 13th chapter, verse 22. Not changing the topic, it's still about David here. And I'd like for you to notice this description of David. And when he had removed him, he raised up from them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Now, this is what's interesting. Usually, when we just throw out that phrase, and it's a beautiful phrase, we usually don't tack this on the end like the scriptures tack it on the end. How is someone a man after God's own heart? Here it is. Who will do all my will. Sometimes I feel like a voice in the wilderness and I don't get it. I don't know why it's not said more often. Does God want us to be obedient? Yes. Does God expect us to obey every commandment he gives? Yes. If we're gonna have a heart after God's own will, He expects us to keep all of His commandments. Now, someone says, but, but preacher, we, we don't need to preach like that because people aren't perfect. Listen, because people aren't perfect does not lower the standard. It's the grace of God that gives us opportunity to come back to God's standard. Our sin cannot be licensed to lower the standard of God. If you're a person after God's own heart, your 2015 resolution is I want to do God's will in every area of my life. And if that is not your standard, your expectations for you are much different than God's expectations for you. I beg you, look at the words God uses and not the phrases that people use when they're just talking about God. A man after God's own heart is a man that wants to do the will of God in everything. What did we learn today? Number one, we generally live up to what is expected of us. Number two, God expects us to choose Him, beginning with our heart, to love God's will. Number three, God expects us to use our life and our skills for Him. Number four, God expects us to live within His purpose. And that's a quote out of Acts 13. To live within His purpose. What is God's purpose? God's purpose is to love us and redeem us. Does your life live in the reflection of a God who loves you and has redeemed you? Does your life help others know about a God who loves them and wants to redeem them? When our heart is set upon doing the will of God, to help others also know the love and the redemption of God, we then are fulfilling the purpose of God in our life. In other words, our life is not all about us. It's all about us lifting up God. This morning, expectations. God's expectations for us are really high the beautiful thing is he gives us time to grow he gives us time to to gain an understanding and when we stumble along the way and absolutely we're going to do that he gives us the opportunity like King David to look at sin not as we better lower the standard this is too hard instead he gives us the opportunity to break our heart and to cry out with a broken and a contrite spirit, Lord, please create in me a new heart, a clean heart. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This morning, if we can help you in any way, see the expectations of God. To come up to God and allow Him to create in you what you'll never be able to create on your own. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ, remission of your sins, if you're ready to, as a Christian, to come back and to be restored, if, if thinking about 2015 and you simply wanting to grow closer to God and you don't know exactly where to turn, do you know that we sit down with individuals every week and talk about God? open scriptures, and study about God's will. You wouldn't be asking anything unusual to say, I just need somebody to sit down and answer some questions and to study from God's word. We love the opportunity to do that. If we can help you,